Good afternoon. It's good to be here uh, again and to open the Word of God with you. Uh, I'm not in my best voice, as you can tell, but <clears throat> pray for me that I'll be able to hold up and speak. It's a delight to be here and see you. I see sickness has uh, crept in on you all, too. So, uh, But whoever the Lord ordained to be here is here. So I trust the Lord will speak to you through this message. I'm going to be in the book of Philippians, the first chapter this afternoon, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 18 verses, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would you understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstand, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're bowed here before you this afternoon in your presence. We thank you, Father, for your love and mercy, your kindness, your patience, your forbearance with each of us. Lord, just to be kind enough to let us be here one more time and hear your word. So, Father, we pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, that the entrance of your word would give light to us. Lord, that you would bring deep conviction where it needs to come, that you would encourage the saints, that you would instruct us, that you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And, Lord, in and all, we want Christ to have the preeminence. We want him to be magnified and glorified in our hearts and in this place. So help us in the pulpit, help us in the pew this afternoon. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, 
verse 12 we just read really takes us into the body of this letter of Paul to the Philippians. He's written his introduction and now he begins to tell them the things he wanted them to know. Of course, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just what he wanted them to know, it was what God wanted them to know. And the first thing he tells them about is verse number 12. This will be our primarily our text. The first thing he tells them about is his circumstances. He says there in verse 12, I want you to understand, I want you to know, brethren, the things which have happened to me have fallen out. They have turned out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And this is the title of my message. What, what is happening to you? What's happening to you? You realize for each of us this afternoon, today, February the 11th, 2024, there are things happening to you. And only you know what all those things are. So what happened to Paul? Well, Paul's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. Why? For preaching the gospel. No doubt his brethren back at Philippi, they're worried about him. They're concerned about him. They're concerned about the cause of the gospel. In those days, it wasn't as easy to communicate. You couldn't pull a cell phone out and text someone or message someone or call someone. It was hard to communicate in those days, and people really didn't know how he was. So he wrote them this letter to tell them what had transpired since he had been arrested and taken to Rome. Now, you might, you might remember from the book of Acts that Paul's arrest actually took place back in Israel. He was brought before Felix and Festus, and he appealed, remember, to Caesar. And so to Rome he went. He was sent there as a prisoner to Rome to stand trial uh, before Caesar. Now imagine how those brethren in Philippi must have been feeling toward Paul. Paul was the instrument of God's hand that God, that God used to bring them to Christ. And they were obviously very interested in his state of affairs. So he writes to them. He said, I want you to understand. I want you to know, brethren, how I am. But the Philippians, no doubt, were anxious to hear of his affairs. So he writes them to tell them how he's getting along there in prison. Most likely, they expected the worst in regard to Paul. When they learned that Paul was in prison, imagine what they must have thought. He's probably depressed. He's probably lost hope. But instead, Paul writes to them, and if you know anything about the book of Philippians, he writes to them a letter that has been labeled an epistle of joy. And he's writing from prison. Now, I want to ask you, if you, were not, if you or I were asked to write a letter to other people, to tell other people or describe to other people how things are going with us, how would that letter be labeled? What title would be put on that label? This is his epistle of joy. He's in prison in Rome. As you may know several times, the brother just read chapter 4, verse 4, but several other times in this letter, Paul reminds them to rejoice in the Lord. He says it many times, rejoice in the Lord. They probably thought Paul's ministry of advancing the gospel was going to be hindered. After all, what can you do in prison? He's chained up in prison. Where can you go and preach? No no cities to go to, no markets to preach in. Who can you preach to? Surely the gospel is going to be hindered. Paul's in prison. But Paul writes to them, he said, Brothers, brethren, I want you to know the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 
They've worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, sad to say, some Christians feel like if something bad happens to us, that's surely a sign that God is distancing himself from you, or he has forsaken you, or God is chastening you. How often have you heard when something bad happens to someone else, someone will say, well, they must have not been living right. Yes, God does chasten his people. He chastens his people for our sin. But listen, not all the difficulties and dark providences in a person's life are a result of God's displeasure. You know the story of Job. Job was an upright man. He hated evil. He loved righteousness. And God loosed hell upon Job. He lost his children. He lost all his animals. He lost all his provision. He lost everything but his life and his wife. And then his friends come along, and for 34 chapters, his friends are saying, Job, you must have done something terrible. And Job said, no, I didn't. That goes on for 34 chapters in one way or another. Well, what happened? Sovereign suffering. He suffered sovereignly. Imagine what some might say about you if they heard you were in prison for testifying about Jesus Christ in a place where it was forbidden to do so. Just imagine what they might say. Well, what did he expect? He knew he was not supposed to go there and preach the gospel. Or some might conclude, if God was really with you in what you were doing, you wouldn't be in jail. And of course, that's just part of the prosperity gospel that's so rampant in our day today. Brethren, let's be careful that we don't make unwarranted assumptions about someone else's sufferings. You don't know. Let's remember how Paul came to be in these circumstances that he's in. He is suffering for righteousness' sake. And remember what our Lord Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are they who suffer for righteousness' sake. He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. And guess what? That's what Paul's doing. He's rejoicing in his sufferings. There's a lot of things for us to learn here, and I'm going to pull out a few things. Two things in particular, initially. Number one, the things that were happening to Paul were not planned by Paul. The things that happened to Paul were not planned by Paul. He didn't sit down one day and say, I'm going to plan out my next 10 years. I think I'll first go to Philippi, and then I'll go to Thessalonica. And then, by the way, I think I'll end up in prison. He didn't plan it out that way. That wasn't his plans. Now, I do believe he made plans. And I think you ought to make plans as well, according to the word of God. But he was, he was locked up in prison, not according to his will. But that wasn't his will. He wanted to remain free. Why? So he could preach the gospel. So he could take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you want to know what Paul's plans really were, you can read later. But read Romans 15, 24. Right there, he envisioned an evangelistic trip to Spain with a stopover in Rome to visit some of the brethren there. So that was his aim, to go and preach Christ wherever he was not known, not to be chained up in a Roman prison. However, in the exercise of his ministry, he was put in prison. Some might say, well, if he just hadn't preached so forcefully, if he hadn't preached so boldly there, if he had just toned it down a little bit, if he had just... Soften the sharp edges of the gospel a little bit. Just tone it down, Paul. You could have remained free. 
Well, we know the Apostle Paul could not do that, nor can we do that without compromising the gospel. And the Philippians knew all about this because remember when he was in Philippi preaching the gospel, both he and Silas were put in prison there and they were beaten. They also knew that this kind of mistreatment didn't stop him from preaching the gospel. It might stop you and me, but it didn't stop the Apostle Paul. When Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica to preach. Later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, listen to what he says. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much, much contention. Paul was determined to preach the gospel, but I'm pretty sure prison wasn't in his plan. So first, the things that happened to Paul were not planned by Paul. But secondly, the things that happened to Paul were planned by God. They were planned by God. Why was he in prison for doing what God had called him to do? Why was he in prison for being a a faithful minister of the gospel? Couldn't God have prevented it? Sure he could have. Why was he in prison? Well, here's the answer. It was the will of God. It was the will of God and Paul knew it. And that's why being in prison didn't didn't depress him. It didn't make him angry. Remember, this is the man that the Holy Spirit inspired to write these words. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. He wrote those words. And surely the man who wrote and believed that wouldn't argue with the sovereign purpose of God because he's now in prison. He realized that what God was doing was part of a much bigger master plan. Are you realizing that yet? That what, I don't know what's happening in your life. There are things happening. Do you realize this is part of a much larger master plan than you can fathom, that you can grasp? Paul had some realization of that, and so should we, even though he didn't know exactly what God was doing. Think of these verses. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, It's good to make plans according to the revealed will of God, make plans with godly counsel, but just know, folks, just know things are not going to work out exactly as you plan. Don't be surprised about that. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Ordered by the Lord. Are you figuring that out yet? Your steps are ordered by the Lord. You're not going to take one step that the Lord hadn't ordered. Our steps are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Every step we take, beloved, is ordered by the Lord. And he is working and accomplishing his will through us and the path he takes us down often involves suffering, trials, restrictions, and limitations. 
Look at verse 29 of the first chapter. Paul says there, he says, for unto you it's a given. We could say it this way. Unto you, here are two gifts God's going to give every believer. In the behalf of Christ, or for the sake of Christ, you get two gifts, Christian. Not only to believe on him, that's the gift of faith, but also this second gift, to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. Those two gifts of faith and suffering. We like the faith part. That we can believe, we can trust God. We don't so much like that gift of suffering. But you're not going to have one without the other. Think of a few biblical examples of how God advances his kingdom through suffering, through trials, through restrictions, through limitations. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph is cast into a pit. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. And yet he magnifies God and he praises God for his providence. At the end in chapter 50, remember, he says, what others thought for evil, God meant it for good to save. The children of Israel, remember, they're pursued by Pharaoh's army through the Red Sea. But afterwards they get on the other side and they sing that great song of triumph, the song of Moses. Job, we've already mentioned Job, deprived of all his children, all his goods, even his health, yet he came to a deeper insight into the mysteries and the glory of God's wisdom than he ever had before. Jeremiah, he's cast into a muddy pit. He suffered many other afflictions, but he's the one who wrote that well-known phrase that's been immortalized in scripture and in song, great is thy faithfulness. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was crucified, yet through it, he gained victory over sin, death, hell. And he he enables every single believer since then to say, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and John in the book of Acts. They're in prison for preaching the gospel, but they became bolder than ever in proclaiming Christ as the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And they went, they went on to say, we must obey God rather than men. The early, early church herself, being persecuted, ended up being like kindling, spread and scattered abroad, yet God used that, just like burning embers on dry kindling to proclaim and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere. Do you get it? Through suffering, trials, limitations, and and persecutions, restrictions, the cause of Christ advances. In the same way, here's Paul in prison. It's part of God's plan. He planned it, and he overruled the evil that men would do to Paul, and he did great and marvelous things through Paul that Paul never envisioned. Well, what things happened there? The gospel, he says in verse 12, the gospel advanced. Now, this is, this is amazing to me. The gospel was not hindered in any way. Instead, it advanced, it progressed. Brethren, let us never fail to affirm that God's will in providential dealings with us is best. And we must always trust him, whatever he brings us to and whatever he is bringing us through, even when we're not sure what's happening. And we sure don't know what the end of it's going to be. 
Do you see that this frame of mind explains why Paul was joyful and not bitter? If we too have a divine perspective on all of life, the joy of the Lord, that will be our strength. And because we do know, don't we, brethren, that all things are working together for our good. So Paul can truly say here in verse 12, the things which happened to me have turned out. They've worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. What does that expression, furtherance, mean? It literally means, if you have a modern translation, it means the advance. The advance of the gospel. In those days, that word was used to describe the blazing of a trail by an army. And Paul is using that term here to speak about forging new territory for the gospel. Well, how in the world is that going to happen if the chief propagator, Paul, of the gospel is in prison? How can the team win if the star quarterback is on the bench? Super Bowl Sunday. How the Chiefs going to win if Mahomes is knocked out in the first play of the game? Wouldn't Paul's imprisonment mean the end or the hindrance and not the furtherance of the gospel? Wouldn't the cause of Christ collapse if the chief apostle is in prison? Well, I think some might have thought that that was the end of all of the missionary advancement, but God had other plans. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I'm going to build it. And he went on to say the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That depicts Christ in an offensive, and the church in an offensive posture, not defensive. You understand everyone's headed to hell. Everyone is held back. And so the gospel advances and overcomes that hell boundness. So rather than being a hindrance for the spread of the gospel and the advancement of the church, the very opposite was true. What might have seemed to inhibit the gospel, in fact, became a springboard for the gospel. And Paul here, beginning in verse number 13, he shows us just how the gospel advanced. Well, how did the gospel advance with Paul in prison? Two ways. First of all, we see it advance through Paul himself as he ministered in the palace. Paul is ministering right there where he is. Secondly, it advanced by others taking up the cause. Others being bold to preach when they weren't so bold before, when Paul was out there. Some with good motives, he said, and some with not so good motives. In verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. That's the King James Version. But the New King James says, in the whole palace, uh, uh, To the whole palace guard. That's where the gospel went. The ESV says the imperial guard or the praetorian guard, the New American Standard says. That's where the gospel went. So Paul says that it's become evident to these palace guards and to everyone else that was around him that his imprisonment was for the cause of Christ. In other words, these chains are for Christ, he tells him. In other words, Christ was his Lord and he was his servant. And it was the Lord Christ who had put him exactly in that spot and chained him to those walls and chained him to those guards day after day after day. It was for Christ. Now think about it. If you can envision in your mind what's going on there. 
Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. A new soldier comes on duty, fastens him to the other end of that chain, to his own wrist. He'd take a look at this prison and he'd say, Paul, what are you in for? And what would Paul say? For Christ. I'm in for Christ. When a Christian visitor, he had lots of visitors when he was under house arrest, lots of visitors, Christian visitors would come and see Paul. And that guard chained to Paul right there was forced. Think what he was forced to listen to. He was forced to listen to conversation about who? About Christ. He was forced to hear the gospel. He was forced to hear Paul pray, pray for the Philippians, praying for the Thessalonians. That guard, many guards were forced to hear all that. All about this Christ and how those who served him were getting along. Paul was concerned, of course, about the Philippians. They might be worried about it. And, of course, over-anxiety about anything is a sin. So he writes there in chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, prison is not where anybody wants to be. Paul didn't want to be there in prison, but he was there for his testimony of Jesus Christ. But what was Paul to do, given that this happened to him? I want you to speculate what Paul could have done. He could have become angry, right? He could have become bitter. He could have been angry with God. You know, some professing Christians are that way when unfavorable providence comes their way. Why? They're looking for their best life now. But that's not right. Over and over, the scriptures tell us in so many different ways, to be a Christian, we must count the cost. We must take up our cross. We must be willing to suffer in this life for the cause of Christ. Why? That we might receive a crown of righteousness which will never fade away. The sufferings, Paul will say in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which is going to be revealed in us. He says, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul could have been bitter, but he wasn't. He could have been depressed. Woe is me. Oh, how I've served the Lord. Now just look at me. God must not love me. Just look at me. You might laugh at that, but you know what? We all kind of feel that way sometimes when things are not going our way. The shock and the stress of dark providence sometimes is just more than people can bear. Have you ever had that reaction to a trial? We probably all have. Why? Why me? Why, Lord? Paul could have thrown in the towel and just quit. And that's what many people do when things don't go as they expect. They say, it's just too hard. The battle isn't worth it. And they, as a Christian, they go AWOL. They pull out of church. Rather than draw near, they draw back. Paul didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of those things. What did he do? Listen carefully. Here's what he did. He did what he could do where he was. He did what he could do where he was. And again, the title of my message is what's happening to you. And this is a point right here. Whatever's happening to you, do what you can where you are. 
Do what you can where you are. And he did it with the knowledge that God was sovereign over all of it, that God would sustain him in it and through it. He knew that God was working all things after the counsel of his own will. And knowing that, listen, Paul looked for creative ways to serve the Lord in the providential circumstances, in the place where providential circumstances had brought him. He looked for creative ways to serve the Lord where providence had brought him. And that's what we need to learn. You're where you are in life. You're where you are right now in 2024. Look for creative ways to serve the Lord, to advance the cause of Christ where you are. That's what Paul did. What specifically did he do? I want you to think about it. Paul became the chaplain of the Praetorian Guard. He became the chaplain of the Praetorian Guard. That's what verse 13 teaches us. In this undesirable situation, Paul shared and proclaimed the gospel. Not just to the other inmates, but to the very soldiers who were guarding him. That's the language here. To the whole palace guard. It became evident to those guards, to those prison guards... That Paul's bonds, his chains, were, were for Christ. Here's the passion of Paul. Look at verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. That's his passion. For me to live is Christ. This was his life. This was what his life was all about. It was his consuming passion. You know, there's a lot of people, professing Christians, that have seem to have joy and zeal about Christ in the good times, but not so many have joy and zeal in the bad times. We all should. Excuse me. This was his best life now. And wherever you are, this is your best life now. Because it is your life now. And because God is sovereign. And because Christ is enthroned. This is your best life now. The whole palace guard took notice of Paul. Not because of his imprisonment, not because of his sufferings, of course not because he was some kind of a bad man. They took notice of Paul because of his love for Christ and because of his love for other men's souls. The full praetorian guard, that numbered 9,000 chosen elite men. All had to be of Italian birth. These were the official bodyguards of the emperor, the official bodyguards of the Caesar. 9,000 chosen men. Members of the Philippian church, think about it. Back in Philippi, members of that church, they would see these Roman soldiers going by, marching through the streets, day after day after day. And imagine what they would think. Those men need the gospel. Oh, if somehow... Paul could just have a one-on-one sit-down with those men. If that could somehow happen. We're sure if that could happen, many of those battle-hardened veterans, surely they would believe on Christ too. But how in the world could that be possible? You begin to understand why Paul's in prison. Paul arrives in Rome. He's put in prison. And guess what happens? There he meets soldier after soldier. Day after day, and they're all praetorian guard. It seems from Acts 28 that Paul was chained to a prison guard 
24-7. But he's speaking to them. He's writing letters. That becomes his ministry. And these are not raw country boy uh, recruits who couldn't read that he's evangelizing to. These are the elite men. These are Caesar's guards. They're educated. They're Caesar's troops whose barracks soon began to be filled with discussions about religion for year after year. Things that they had heard all because of one single prisoner who was in custody of the very troops who guarded the Caesar. So imagine Paul day after day in this most difficult circumstance he lived the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel to everyone he came in contact with. And a great impression was made on every single one of them. I'm not saying they were all saved, but many were. Paul told them about God. Paul told them about a Jew from Nazareth named Jesus. He told them who, who to, he told them who he was. He told them where he came from. He told them how he came. He told them of his mighty works. How he just spoke with a word and he calmed a stormy sea. He told them about a centurion who loved the Lord, who had a servant. With just a word, the Lord Jesus raised from a deathbed. He told them how the Lord Jesus, he was the promised Messiah. He was the very Son of God and he died as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He told them no doubt about salvation. He told them about justification. He told them about reconciliation with God. No doubt he told them, we're sinners. We deserve death because we're sinners. But Jesus, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus died in a sinner's place on Calvary's cross. And he surely told these men that they must repent of their sins and they must turn in faith to Jesus Christ. The one who said, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'm sure he told them all of that. And he surely he told them that those who truly repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those and those alone will be saved. And brethren, some of them were. Many of them were. Don't you imagine these men on guard duty? They had never met a man like this before. A man who was absolutely at peace with himself, at peace with his circumstances, and he is a prisoner. And no doubt later they went back to the barracks thinking over everything they had heard, everything they had been told, talked to their friends. And so other troops were also moved to curiosity about this man. I'll bet you they had a long line of soldiers who were volunteering. Let me go. Let me go guard this man. I want to meet this man. I want to hear what this man has to say. And Paul's life in prison had this result as verse 13 tells us, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the other places. The whole Praetorian Guard was evangelized. You understand Paul had put his life at the disposal of Christ and even though his, he was bound, the word of God was not bound. And many, many were converted through his testimony. Look how this letter ends if you glance over at chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. He says there, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you, and all the saints salute you, chiefly 
they that are of Caesar's household. This points to the success of Paul's ministry among the soldiers. The gospel had made inroads into the very household of Caesar. And only heaven will declare the extent of Paul's ministry while he was in chains. Think of all the men who would rotate in and out to guard Paul over the years. How many of those soldiers were then later posted to a tour of duty to the furthest parts of the Roman Empire, even to the British Isles? We know they were. And because of their own witness there, they were the first missionaries. They took the gospel that they heard, some of them from the very lips of Paul, and they brought it to the ends of the earth, to others who would hear of Christ and be saved. And you know what? You and I are recipients of those missionaries that Paul gave the gospel to in prison. That's the story. To me, it's a fascinating, captivating story of what happened with Paul. But how do we apply this? To us, And that's what I want to do in the last couple of minutes. Two applications. If you're a Christian, be a joyful witness for Christ wherever you are. And I don't mean wherever you are sitting in the pew. I mean wherever you are in life. If you're a Christian, be a joyful witness for Christ wherever you are. In every circumstance to which divine providence has bound you, see it. And use it as an opportunity for the advance of the gospel. Are you following me? Listen, God designed some chains for every one of us. You might be bound in a difficult marriage. You might be bound in singleness for now. Rachel's engaged. Hallelujah. (laughs) But others... I mean, we have chains. We're bound. You might be bound to a job that you don't love. You might be tied down with children and the monotony and the mundane things of being a mother and a homemaker. Those obligations there every day. You might be chained to health problems. You might even be bound in a church that's not perfect. God forbid. Amen. Thank you. Too many of us complain about our not-so-perfect circumstances instead of saying, Lord, how do you want me to be a witness for you in the place where you have me? Listen, can't we take lemons and make lemonade? In in biblical language, can, can can bitter waters be made sweet? God says yes, and he did. By God's grace. So my point is, be a missionary where God puts you. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to go to seminary. Be a missionary where God's put you. These are for the believers. I want you to think about it. Every day in our country, we are daily losing our liberties in our society, right? Paul lost all his religious liberty, and he used it for the advance of the gospel. He was a captive, but guess what? He had a captive audience. And the gospel advanced. Brethren, let's learn from Paul's example. In every circumstance which God's divine providence has bound you, be a joyful, consistent witness for Christ. And then you will know that the things that have happened to you have really turned out for the advance of the gospel.
In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, verse 19 and 20, Paul states it this way. As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Yes, those prison guards were on duty 24-7, but so was Paul. And if you're a Christian, so are you. You don't get any time off as a Christian. You're always on duty. Whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're at church, it doesn't matter. You're on duty. Brethren, let's not be discouraged by difficult circumstances which God's providence has put us into, but let's see it. Let's, let's put on a different set of, of glasses. Let's see it as an opportunity to witness and to serve Christ right there, right where we are. That's my first application. Secondly, let everyone know that you are bound to Christ and what that means. Most of you here, adults anyway, some of the children, you have a profession of faith. You need to let everyone know that you're bound to Christ and what that means. That's what Paul did. He told them, my bonds are in Christ. I want you to know Things happen to me, I fall down running the furs of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest everywhere. He let them know. His bonds were for Christ. In other words, those people that providence has bound you to should surely know that you're bound to Christ. They ought to know how, and they ought to know why. Are you ready? As Peter says, be ready. To give an answer to everyone who asks you for your reason of hope you have in Christ. Are you ready? This is your opportunity. Listen carefully. We need to learn the power of the providence of restrictions and limitations. You need to learn the there's power in your restrictions and limitations to which providence has brought you into. It's a very unique platform. I mean, it's one thing when you're strong and healthy and rich, everything's going your way to stand up before a crowd and tell them about Christ and the glories of Christ and, and everything God just promised. It's a whole other thing when you're a Joni Erickson Tata or when you're some, someone who has been terribly afflicted or tried. Nothing's going your way and you still stand up like Paul did and say, Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad. What a privilege it is to be a witness for Christ. We have hope. My hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is in Christ. My hope is in heaven. That's a whole different thing. And my point is there's power in restrictions and limitations. It's a platform for the gospel. It's a platform for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's a heaven-sent opportunity that can reap eternal rewards for many if we would just be a joyful and faithful witness right there. Right there. Our Lord Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 34, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save him. For what shall it profit a man 
if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you spending your life for? What are you spending your money for? What are you spending your time for? We all give our lives up for something, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. But listen, there's only one person and there's only one cause that will reap an eternal reward. I love this quote, and you all will probably know it from C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You mean you're telling me that only what we do for the cause of Christ is going to matter a thousand years from now? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Those are the only things that are going to matter after this life. So, what's happening to you? I don't know. You don't really know everything that's happening to me. But if you're a professing Christian, or if you're not, what's happening to you should turn out for the advance of the gospel. And if it does, if you can be a joyful and faithful witness right there, your life will mean something a thousand years from now. It may be a lot sooner than that. And secondly, is what's happening to you and the fact that you are a professing Christian, is that made evident to everyone that you come in contact with? That you're really bound to Christ. I'm bound to Him. Not going anywhere. This is who I am. This is how I got here. And this is who He is. I pray that God would help us through this example of the Apostle Paul to be faithful right where we are. If you're not a Christian, I told our church this morning that today is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. In one sense, God, the way to God is still open. Christ said, I'm the way. He said, come to me. All you labored heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Today is the day of salvation. Why in the world would anyone know that a holy God who hates sin and will not have no part with sin has made a way that we rebel sinners can be at peace with him and dwell with him in joy and happiness without sin forever and ever. And that way is his son. And what we must do is turn from our sin and we must turn in faith and embrace him. Believe on him. Commit our life to him. Walk with him. Follow him. Who in their right mind would not do that? Who in their right mind would say, I'm okay. I, I think things are going to turn out for me all right in the end. I'm going to wait and see. That's a fool's error. That's a fool's path. I plead with you as an ambassador of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. and You will be saved. Come with us. Follow us that know him. Oh, don't, don't follow us as you would follow Christ because we're flawed people. But follow the way we're going. We're following Christ. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't have anywhere else to go. I can't go back. There's no back back there anymore. Like the Lord told his disciples, 
will you also go away in John 6? And they said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life, and we believe and we're sure that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know many of you here, we're sure. We're as sure as a man or a woman can be that he's the Christ. He's the way to have peace with God, and we, we want you to come with us. So if you want to talk to somebody, there's plenty of people to talk to here. You can talk to me. I guess I'm particularly talking to these children here today that don't know the Lord. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't think, well, I'm going to wait till I get older. I'm going to wait till I grow up, get a job. No. Don't do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your holy word. And we pray for your rich blessings upon it. Lord, deal with each of us. Help us to search our hearts. Help us to commit our lives more wholly and fully to Christ. Lord, help us to feel what we know to be true. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.